Blog Talk Radio. This episode of Attention Talk Radio is brought to you by children and adults with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Welcome to Attention Talk Radio, your ADHD information station where we help those with ADHD pay attention to attention. With your host, ADHD and attention coach, Jeff Topper. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to this edition of Attention Talk Radio. I'm your host, ADHD and Attention Coach Jeff Copper. Our topic, ADHD and the long-term impact of stimulant medications. Uh, We're going to get to the content in a moment. Before we do, we'd like to thank children and adults with Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder for bringing this program to you. In celebration of that event, we're anxious to give away free digital copies of Attention Magazine. To get yours, just listen to our show. We'll be sharing a secret word a couple times. Write it down. Listen to another show. Um, and write down the secret word of that show, and then just email me the, the two words. That's all you need to do. Email address is attention at attentiontalkradio.com. When we get it, we'll forward it to Chad. We'll get you a PDF copy of the current edition of Attention Magazine, and they'll send you a PDF copy of the next edition when it's in print. We have a little tip that we're going to share with you that Chad made, and we'll get into the show. You've heard it from organization experts and others. If you want to get things done, you need to keep to-do lists. If all the things you need or want to accomplish keep you up at night, you might think about spending five or ten minutes before bed writing down your list for the following day. Some people prefer to start their day by creating a list. Choose whichever works best for you. To learn more about time management and ADHD, visit chad.org. Thank you so much, Chad, for your continued support. For those that are not aware, Chad is the largest not-for-profit organization that advocates on behalf of those with ADHD. We encourage all of our listeners to either donate or become members to support Chad. Financial stability is really important for them to have the resources to have people lobbying uh, on Capitol Hill for the ADHD community and working with different regulatory agencies on wording to make sure that uh, those with ADHD get the accommodations that they need in order to thrive. Again, for more information, to donate or to uh, become a member, go to chadd.org. So, Jan, please introduce our guest. Yes, Jeff, we're very happy to have Dr. Andrew Cutler with us. Dr. Cutler is a clinical associate professor of psychiatry at SUNY Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, and chief medical officer at the Neuroscience Education Institute, working remotely from Lakewood Ranch, Florida. Board certified in psychiatry, he speaks to professional and community audiences about evaluating and treating mental health conditions, including ADHD. He has authored over 100 peer-reviewed articles and has presented over 300 abstracts at scientific meetings worldwide. He serves on scientific and pharmaceutical editorial and advisory boards, and he performs peer reviews of articles to help others with their publications. He teaches healthcare professionals and is in great demand as a public speaker. He has received many honors and awards for outstanding medical scholarship and patient care. So, Jeff, we're very honored to have Dr. Cutler with us today. Dr. Cutler, welcome to the show. Well, thanks very much, Jeff. Pleasure to be here. It's been a long time since we've done one of these, uh, and you're, I'm so grateful that you've agreed to come do this particular show because over all the years that I have been doing um, Attention Talk radio episodes, I never really talked directly about the long-term impact of uh, stimulant medications. Everybody, I want to explain to you why. It's very difficult to find guests to come on to talk about certain topics because of perceived or real conflict of interest. And um, 
Dr. Cutler has been involved in this space for a really, really long time. He doesn't work for a drug company. Not, he basically has run clinical trials testing stuff for a really long time. So he's in a really good position to have some knowledge on this, but not in a position where there's a real bias. And so I really just want to have a, a, com- a conversation about this. And, again, you're the perfect guest. And, again, I, I, I so much appreciate you coming on the show, Dr. Cutler. Well, thanks a lot, Jeff. I, you know, I really agree. This is such an important topic. And I know there's a lot of controversy out there, and I think it's important for us to talk about this in a very responsible, balanced, nuanced way. Absolutely. So just to kind of ease our way into it, when you take stimulant medications, there are definite known side effects like dry mouth, suppression of appetite, sleep issues, right? I mean, those are known that are out Mm -hmm. there, right? Mm -hmm. And and for for the most part, some of those can be severe, like if it's creating real, real sleep problems, then stimulant medications might not be for you. But these are known, but many mm-hmm. of them can be dealt with if you're proactive about it. Is that accurate? That is accurate. And, you know, I need to also comment that sometimes it's a side effect of the medication, what I would call a peak effect when the blood level's peaking. But sometimes these things can be from the medicine wearing off and you can get a rebound effect. For instance, I've seen some people, if the medicine wears off too soon, the ADHD can almost rebound and come back, and now their mind is going and they can't go to sleep. So Mm -hmm. sometimes the insomnia is from the ADHD itself coming back, and so you have to actually extend the length and duration of the medication. So I always ask, what time of day are you having the side effect? And then I can correlate that with, is it the peak effect or the wearing off effect? I, I love that you're saying that. I'm not a mental health professional. I'm just a coach, but I do find it my responsibility to help educate people because um, all too mm-hmm. often when they're working with their physicians, they're, they don't really have a lot of time. And we'll talk about if you're coming up in the right. rebound effect right. and what's kind of taking place so they can have that education right. to go back to the doctor yes. so that they can make some adjustments and, and address it in, in that particular fashion. And we yeah. also know that the, the medications – they impact everybody completely different. Like I've heard of a few, actually I've coached mm-hmm. a few people mm-hmm. that medication, the, the stimulants actually help them sleep, which seems yes, strange, but true. it does happen, right? That's true. Yeah, you know, it's funny, even a little low dose of stimulant in the evening for some people helps them calm down and fall asleep. So it's really different. And nowadays we have so many different preparations of stimulants with various formulations and durations of action. Uh, of course, there's also a methylphenidate versus amphetamine. So we can usually find a medicine that really works best for people, um, both the effects and the duration, if you will. So I, we are here to talk about long-term effects of it. But before we kind of get into yes. that, we do have two different molecules. Yeah. And you're saying yes. is that if, if you have a good physician, usually they can get one of these to work. Is that an accurate statement? Mm-hmm. Like when I say one of these, like 80, 85% of the time or – Exactly right. Yeah, stimulants are effective in 80 to 85% of people. But what's interesting is most people will respond to either amphetamine or methylphenidate. But there's perhaps as many as 30% of people who seem to be better with one than the other. Either they respond better or they tolerate one better than the other. So it's very important if one's not working or you're having side effects to consider switching to the other chemical class. Amphetamines, while they both have similarities in how they work, they block the take of neuropenes and dopamine, but amphetamines are more potent. They actually can really crank release of dopamine out. And so for some people, that can cause a little more risk of decreased appetite, irritability, or insomnia, but some people need that extra potency to get Got it. 
So the thing here that I think is important is that they're they're delicate to work with, and sometimes you've got to have somebody mm-hmm. who's really trained because my understanding is sometimes you can get these things to work, but other times yeah. there's other things at issue like gluten sensitivity, liver functioning, metabolism, maybe different levels of vitamin of toxicity, stuff like that. Is that is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah, in some of these medicines, there's a food effect or you have to be careful with acidic foods or high-fat foods, so you do want somebody who's knowledgeable. Um, the point is that we're starting to talk about as we, as we ease into the long-term effect is these are very powerful medicines, and as you said, they can certainly have side effects, um, which often can be managed by adjusting the dose or using the right preparation. Most of the side effects tend to be transient, that you tend to get better with time, but there are clearly long-term things that we need to be aware of. Great transition. One of the things that I talk about people when they're taking meds the first time, I tell them, you know, expect your first night of sleep to be the worst. Stay on it for a couple mm-hmm. of days and it will get better. And that doesn't mean it goes mm-hmm. away right. or whatever, but I kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, be ready for this mm-hmm. because it's going to be difficult. And as mm-hmm. your body makes that adjustment is, but the point really is we know that there's short-term effects. We know that they're there. They can be dealt with. They're not life altering. They're a little bit inconvenienced, mm-hmm. but if you work with your physician, you can kind of work your way through that. So, Let's make the transition. Yes, I agree. Talk to us about some of the the, the myths and or the known potential long-term impact yes. of stimulants. Yes. Well, the long-term concerns fall into a couple of different categories. The, Of course, the really obvious and biggest one is cardiovascular effects. We know mm-hmm. that these medicines in all the clinical trials have been shown to have some modest increase in blood pressure and heart rate. So right away, you know there's a little more strain on the cardiovascular system and there's potentially risk. These drugs have warnings, of course, about not giving them to people with serious cardiac disease and making sure to screen and monitor uh, cardiac conditions, certainly blood pressure and heart rate. But what's interesting is the the long-term data is really not that clear that there are any long-term cardiovascular consequences, especially when dosed properly. And one of the things I do is I always make sure all patients that have elevated blood pressure get that treated. Get your blood pressure treated into the normal zone. And I have no problem even giving older adults stimulants as long as their blood pressure is controlled. So cardiovascular, potentially a risk, especially if somebody has certain structural abnormalities such as cardiomyopathy or serious cardiac arrhythmias. But in general, the risk is quite low. And, you know, Jeff, we always have to balance out the potential benefit and the potential risk. So before I yes. go too far down risk, let me just remind people the long-term benefits are extremely clear. We have ample evidence for improvements in academic function, job performance, achievement, quality of life, relationships. There's even an increased risk of suicide with untreated ADHD that gets better with treatment. You decrease the suicide mm-hmm. risk as well as premature mortality from things like accidents and, and other things. So benefits are clear. Now, as far as risk, cardiovascular we talked about. Another one that people are concerned about very realistically is uh, slowing of growth, especially in kids. Uh, there is evidence, of course, as you mentioned, decreased appetite, which can contribute to slowing of growth. And there is some real evidence that over the first year or so of treatment, there's a modest slowing of growth for some kids. But what's interesting is long-term studies, when you look out, say, three years, uh, it seems like that levels off and and it's not an issue anymore. 
Um, there are some people who will give drug holidays in order to allow someone to eat more and catch up. But, it, it, you know, again, in balancing out the potential benefit, potential risk, yep. that seems to be a pretty small, relatively small risk that yep. seems to get better over time. But that, that's a real one, as is blood okay. pressure and heart rate. Those things need to be monitored and dealt with. Yeah, I tell you what, let's, mm-hmm. let's, let's go to break right now because I want to come back and get the other ones. But before sure. we go to break, I want to emphasize something that's really, really important. There's a story out there that's sensationalized. And when we were talking about cardiovascular part, you were talking mm-hmm. about properly mm-hmm. dosed. We are talking about mm-hmm. a medication that's under the supervision of a physician that's properly dosed and not mm-hmm. being abused. There are many drugs right. that are abused. If somebody's abusing these drugs, it, we're not talking about that. It creates a yes. whole other problem. If you're down in yes. like, you know, bottles of Adderall, then, then we're not talking about that crowd. We're talking about the proper dosage under the supervision of a physician, right? I completely agree. Okay. All right. We're going to go to break. Everybody, our secret word tonight is long-term. Uh, Again, our secret word is long-term, and with that, we'll be right back after these messages. Your life, your world, your choice. This is Attention Talk Radio. Are you always late? The Time Timer is an award-winning time management solution that's helped millions of people with ADHD manage life better. As time passes, Time Timer's bright red disc disappears. Visit Timetimer.com and use the discount code ATR for 15% off. Transform lives as a professionally trained ADHD coach at the ADD Coach Academy. ADHD coaching is in demand, a calling, and a career. Learn how you can change lives by going to addca.com slash ATR. That's addca.com slash ATR. Managing ADHD is about pausing before you ponder and proceed. This opportunity to practice pausing is being brought to you by GigCoaching.com. And now, back to Attention Talk Radio. Welcome back, everybody. We are here with uh, Dr. Andrew Cutler uh, talking about the long-term impact of stimulants. Uh, before the break, we were talking to acknowledge the short-term impact. They are certainly there. There's things that you can deal with. Sometimes they're inconvenient. Um, but now we're transitioning into the longer-term impacts, and we've been talking about the, the cardiovascular side and, and growth type issues, I want to reiterate, we're talking about a medication that's used under the, 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 the guidance of a physician, but like anything else, if you abuse any drug, it's going to have some type of an impact and it's probably not going to be the positive one that you want. Um, the slower growth thing, my question on that one is, we, you're saying that we know that sometimes there's some growth differences. We're, I think you were speculating, but about three years, that begins to level out. So are we really sure that there's a long-term impact, or is it like inconclusive at this point, or do we even know? It is inconclusive is the best answer. <clears throat> there is some evidence that long-term it may not actually be an issue, um, but it's more of a shorter-term phenomenon and that maybe people catch up later. It, it's really not clear. The best thing is to monitor, and if it, it, it looks like there's an issue, as I said, sometimes we do uh, a break from the medicine for a period of time, um, continue to monitor, continue to assess the benefit and the risk, if you will. Mm-hmm. The one thing I will say is, you know, when it comes to science, we know what we know. We don't know what we don't know. And so as you listen to that's this, true. we're talking about what we do know. That's not to even say maybe there's something else that we haven't been able to identify, but we're talking about stuff. And while we're on this topic, Dr. Cutler, in my understanding, we have been using stimulants to, to treat people with ADHD since 1937. So this is not like a new thing. Mm-hmm. It's been going that's on for right. a long time, correct? That's, that is correct. Uh, benzedrine, the amphetamine, was the first medicine approved back then. Hmm. 
So, okay. Yeah. No, what's interesting here too is, you know, so you have to understand it's a little difficult to do, to get these really long-term data because as we well know, uh, most people don't stay on their medicines long-term or they're coming on and off of their medications or taking them when they think they need them. So it's been hard really to get really accurate information on this. So just to qualify that. That's interesting. You say that sometimes people are not med compliant or they don't stay on it long term. Mm -hmm. From the clinical mm -hmm. researcher side, tell us more about that. Why do you speculate people don't stay on them long term? Well, the adherence rates, we call them to all medicines, is bad. I mean, if you look at medicines for diabetes, for blood pressure, you know, for all kinds of things, uh, people stop their medicines or they, or they don't stay on them for a long time. So part of this is human nature. But, of course, part of it may be unique to ADHD because people with ADHD, as we know, sometimes their judgment or their insight or their self-awareness, self-observation is not great. And they may think, mm -hmm. well, I don't, you know, I don't need it. And they mm -hmm. may not see the benefit as well as people around them do. And this is why I always try to get uh, information from persons around them, collateral information. And I try to really encourage the communication between the patient and people around them to check yep. in, you know. What are you noticing? Yep. How am I doing? That kind of thing. So there's a there's a great Rick Green quote that he said years ago. He says, many ADDers report self-observation, which they find surprising mm -hmm. because they're poor self-observation. Or as I say, self-awareness. Yeah. One of the, the – yeah. I'm a big fan of Dr. Bark's executive function model, and self-awareness is one sure. of that he defines. And to yep. me, self-awareness right. and success in life are highly correlated. Mm -hmm. and, and in this space, we're just kind of talking about sometimes people with ADHD, they're, they're kind of sometimes in their head and not aware of themselves. Mm -hmm. So what other yeah, types of long-term implications are, could yeah. there be? Yeah. So there's a couple other categories. So we've talked cardiovascular. We've talked about growth, slowing. Uh, mm -hmm. The next one is neurodegeneration or perhaps neurobiologic changes in the brain. And a lot of this comes from, as you'd mentioned, from people abusing these drugs. We clearly know they can cause so-called brain damage or changes in the brain. Also in animal studies when high doses are administered. But there's some recent findings that uh, kids, particularly with ADHD, who take the medicines longer term, not only is there no evidence of neurodegeneration or shrinkage of the brain, there's actually evidence of improvement in brain function and structure. And there is some evidence of a potential neuroprotective effect or helping maybe resume a normal trajectory of brain development. So the data there is kind of fascinating and may actually be the opposite of what you would think. And again, this is using drugs appropriately, appropriate doses and so on. This may also be a time I can put in a plug for the long-acting stimulants, extended release versus immediate short-acting, such as Adderall IR. Um, those are more dangerous uh, to probably in general because they're going, the blood level is going up, peaking, and coming down. And it's really better to have a more smooth concentration and to try to avoid those peaks and valleys. So that's my two cents on um, really state-of-the-art now is to try to use extended release rather than the immediate release as much as so possible. If to the extent there's a, a long-term issue, it would be better to take the smoother so that you're not hitting those peaks and valleys and the, and the roller coaster day in and day out, right? I, I think so. Uh, and okay. also, you know, the uh, immediate release are more abusable, they're more subject yep. to abuse, which, uh -huh. if I could, is to transition to the next topic, which is yep. the risk for substance abuse. There's a concern yep. that these drugs are going to prime you to abuse drugs or cause you to crave. And the exact opposite is actually true. A good friend of mine, Tim Willens, up at Harvard, has done a lot of work in this area. 
what he's found is especially people who are motivated to not use drugs, they actually have better sobriety when treated with stimulants than patients with ADHD who are not being treated with stimulants. He also found that when children and adolescents are treated with stimulants, there's actually less likely, they're less likely to abuse drugs later on in life. So um, I understand the concern, and I know, unfortunately, there's a lot of clinicians who refuse to give stimulants to people with ADHD with a history of substance abuse. And I, I think that the data doesn't support that. The data says the opposite, actually. So I've, we've had Tim on our, our program a couple times in the past. He's, he's a brilliant guy. And, and everybody, I'm sharing with you my opinion here. This is not scientific fact, mm-hmm. but I, I, when I get a client that comes in, the first thing I do on an intake, I start to ask them a question of, like, their passions and their interests and, you know, what's mm-hmm. their most important accomplishment, who they look up to. And what I'm doing in those, those mm-hmm. things, I'm always listening for what all their answers have in common because I'm really trying to understand what I call their underlying dopamine blueprint, that thing that, that kind of drives mm-hmm. the passion. I also have a list mm-hmm. where I start asking them about, you know, do you smoke? Have you ever done illegal drugs? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you masturbate yes. regularly? Do you watch porn? Are you, mm-hmm. are, you, are, mm-hmm. you, are you drawn to acts of daring, mm-hmm. like driving 100 miles an hour? And I'm going through this yes. like social media, and I'm going through this because inevitably yes. I'm looking for what they're self-medicating with. And let me explain this. What I tell exactly. people when they're, when they're uncomfortable – when they're hungry, angry, lonely, tired, bored, or stressed, self-regulation is so much more difficult, and that's when they find themselves going to this. And so my stupid little analogy mm-hmm. here is if people are not in these states and they're getting other things done and, they're, and they're, they're productive and their mind is occupied, then they're not in these uncomfortable states where they have a predisposition to move to these things to, to get that dopamine relief. Again, this is just mm-hmm. like, like what I'm uh, observing, and I'm, again, I'm not so sure it's fact, but mm-hmm. it, it seems to me to kind of help mm-hmm. explain why if they're taking the stimulants, there's less of an urge to go to these types of things. Plausible? Yeah, very much so. Yeah, and what I like to say is, look, your brain doesn't know the difference between legal and illegal, okay? <laughs> and I often say, I'm not your father and I'm not a police officer. I'm not here trying to put you in jail. I want to understand what you're using. But ADHD, we know, is dopamine dysregulation. Dopamine is the pleasure chemical. It's motivation and reward. And so you're exactly right that people try to self-medicate. And there's a lot of ways to raise dopamine. Anything that's fun or exciting yep. raises your dopamine. And so all yep. these things you talked about raise dopamine. And unfortunately, people with ADHD don't have a good off switch. So they tend to yes. overdo things, if you will. A little bit is good, a lot is better. And <laughs> I, I think you're wise to, to check. And it's, it's very true. And what I say then to them is, look, what you've been doing has just been an inefficient way of self-medicating. It's either illegal or it's inefficient. And I'm going to give you something that's going to do that. It's legal. And it's much more efficient, again, getting back to that extended release, smooth release of a stimulant that's now going to moderate your dopamine system rather than kind of the ups and downs of what you've been doing. Absolutely. Tell you what, I got, I got something else I want to go into, and this is a perfect break point. So let's go to our, our commercial. We'll sure. come back. And we'll kind of, mm-hmm. we can speculate about some things with regard to this area. Everybody, mm-hmm. our secret word mm-hmm. tonight is long-term. Again, our secret word is long-term. With that, we'll be right back after these messages. You're listening to Attention Talk Radio. We'll return in a moment. Your life, your world, your choice. This is Attention Talk Radio. Change your life by learning more about managing ADHD. Other places give you a few tips. The ADD Coach Academy will change your life. 
To find out more, go to addca.com slash ATR. That's addca.com slash ATR. Are you always late? The Time Timer is an award-winning time management solution that's helped millions of people with ADHD manage life better. As time passes, Time Timer's bright red disc disappears. Visit timetimer.com and use the discount code ATR for 15% off. Could hiring an attention coach really help you move forward? (laughs) Does a child get wet when they dive into a swimming pool? You can get started moving forward today. Just call Dig Coaching Practice at 813-837-8084 and schedule a free consultation. Tell us you heard about us on Attention Talk Radio and get 50% off your discovery session. For more information, visit digcoaching.com. Don't delay. Do it today. And now, back to Attention Talk Radio. Welcome back, everybody. We're here with Dr. Andrew Cutler having a conversation about ADHD medications, their long-term impact. As an aside, I wanted to share, I I met Dr. Cutler, God, I think it was like 12, 13 years ago. Again, he was running clinical research. So basically when pharmaceuticals have a medication or anything else that they want to test, they're going to go in and they do a clinical trial, and he's overseeing this to all make sure that, you know, it's all kind of fair. And it struck me because – when I first met him, he was talking to me about, you know, this thing that now is amazing to me, and this is, this is brilliance. When you, when you have ADHD, you have a problem with dehydration. Like coffee oh, and yeah. alcohol mm-hmm. will dehydrate you, and stimulants will dehydrate you. And as an athlete, I was like, oh. And we think about it, if you're having a stimulant that suppresses your appetite, here's the thing. Not only does it dehydrate you, but it suppresses your urge to drink. So by the time you're dehydrated, you're way over the top. And I'm sharing the brilliance with them because I've done presentations on ADHD and exercise over literally in a room with a bunch of other like Ivy League psychologists. And I'll say this drinking thing, and they all look at me and go, wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> so I'm tooting your horn. <laughs> uh, <Dr. laughs> well, thank you so much. It's out there. Well, it's um, true. The ADHD brain is less efficient, and you don't want to stress it. And obviously, yep. you need to be hydrated, to carry oxygen and glucose, we've talked about before, are the major fuel to the brain. So uh, I, I strongly preach hydration is critical, as well as you know managing your glucose. Don't get too hypoglycemic. So we can talk about that another time. But there's one other category of long-term Actually, side effects. If you, if you will, can we, can we hold on? Time. Can we hold yeah, on that one for a second? I want to so yeah. one of the things that I'm doing in the show is because when you're sitting down and you're taking a look at the long-term effects, you have to understand the long-term effects of taking this and not taking it. This is a hypothesis, mm-hmm. everybody, but I have surmised mm-hmm. that ADHD rates of diagnosis have increased as smoking rates have decreased. It's my understanding, Dr. Mm-hmm. Cutler, that people have mm-hmm. experimented around mm-hmm. with nicotine as an alternative mm-hmm. to stimulants because it helps focus. Mm-hmm. The problem is you can't titrate it. And my point really mm-hmm. is back in the 60s and yes. 70s, people were smoking and they were getting the nicotine, mm-hmm. but they were rewarded with higher level of performance at work in school. Now, that's there, but there's mm-hmm. long-term side effects of smoking over a really long period of time. So do you want to speak to that a second? Yes. Oh, that, that's an excellent point. So caffeine and nicotine are stimulants, and people use those to self-medicate as well. Both of them, however, are very short-acting substances. So as you said, it's very difficult to titrate. You have to keep using them, if you will. It's hard to keep your blood levels stable. Uh, cigarettes, of course, nicotine usually comes in the form of cigarettes, and even uh, chew, you know, tobacco chew and, yep. and all of that, dip. They all have significant risk of cancer, as we know, and smoking is associated with heart disease and lung disease and cancers. 
So that's a really inefficient way of self-medicating. And you're right that smoking rates are much higher amongst people with ADHD than the general population, even to this day. Um, so I think you're onto something, yeah. Excellent. Okay. You said there was another long-term potential impact? Yes. The other category that we think about is psychiatric complications or comorbidity. For instance, do these drugs cause more depression or anxiety or dementias or things like that? And it turns out they don't. As a matter of fact, again, it might be kind of to the opposite. And Tim Willens, again, and his group have done some work on this, uh, the Harvard group. And what they find is that if you treat children and adolescents with stimulants, they tend to have lower rates of anxiety and depression uh, essentially their whole lives. Um, and whether this is a biologic thing or you're helping them to function better, achieve better, have better self-esteem, uh, we don't really know. But uh, the point is that there does not appear to be that kind of comorbidity or psychiatric risk, just like there's not really substance abuse risk. Another myth is the myth of seizures. Um, it was reported that these drugs lower seizure threshold and shouldn't be given to people with seizures. And it turns out that comes, again, from overdosing and from using too high a dose. At therapeutic levels, there is no evidence that you increase the risk of seizures with these medicines. Wow. Interesting. That's fascinating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, you know, as, as we take this kind of evidence all together, there is some real risk, as we talked about, particularly in blood pressure and heart rate and maybe the slowing of growth short term. But as far as long-term effects, there's very little evidence that there's any serious damage either to the brain or the body long-term. And I think that has to be factored in against, as we've talked about, some of the yep. very clear, strong, long-term benefits of using these medicines appropriately. Yep. And, and, and in combination, Jeff, too, with what you do, you know, I don't want to make it sound like medicine is magic and fixes everything. As you, as you well know, pills don't teach skills. I don't throw pills at people and fix their problems. Um, so I think it, you really do need to take a comprehensive and holistic yep. approach to managing ADHD, obviously. Yep. There's one last concept I want to throw in here. And um, Dr. Cutler, mm -hmm. in 1980, I went to D.C. It was Dr. Nolan. It was a Redskins doctor at the time. I lived an hour away. It's kind of a complicated mm -hmm. story, but I went there because I had asthma. And mm -hmm. they did an EKG, and they did a stress test. And I drove back to school, which mm -hmm. is an hour and 15 minutes away. When I got there, there was a nurse on the mm -hmm. steps wanting to take me to the hospital, which I didn't understand. Oh, my. This repeated itself a couple times. And then in 1998, I went to my doctor's, and I had, had I was having some issues. And he said, let's give you an EKG. And I said, no, we don't want to do that because you're going to want to send me to the hospital. And sure enough, he does this, and he walks in, and I'm taking you to the hospital. And I'm like, he, he allowed me to drive. I drive to the hospital. I get there. It's full. The ER is full, but they've got a room waiting for me. And I go in there, and I, I had some heart problems that run in my family, and I had some stress tests, and there happened to be a cardiologist on there that was a part of the group. And after three hours, I said, what is, what's, what, what, why do they keep sending me to the hospital? Yeah. I said, well, your normal EKG yeah. looks like you're having a heart attack right now. In other words, your normal is everybody else's abnormal. And I'm sharing this mm -hmm. because there's sometimes yeah. people's bodies just act differently. And I've heard, I've had multiple right. clients that did this. I don't. I, right. I, I had one other psychiatrist that confirmed it, but I've had people that when they're on particularly Vyvanse, they have the urge and they mm -hmm. smoke like a chimney, yet when they stop, they mm -hmm. stop. Now, I don't know if you've heard mm -hmm. that before, but my point really is, is um, that there's not, anomalies out there that don't always fit the mold. Mm -hmm. Make sense? Yeah. Well, that's certainly true. I, I had a, a, doc, a, a professor who used to say, you treat a patient, not a lab value or not yes. an EKG. In other words, here you are, a young, healthy guy. EKG says you're having a heart attack. Didn't make sense. 
So there are normal variations in all of these things, absolutely, and you have to put it all together, use your judgment yes. on that. So I thought what you were going to talk about, Jeff, was well-trained athletes often have very low resting heart rates, and sometimes people freak out when they see that. <laughs> you know, the normal, normal heart rate is, what, 60 to 100, let's say. Well, um, world-class athletes can have heart rates, resting heart rates in the 30s and 40s. Their heart is just very efficient at pumping. So, so again, I used to take do that willfully. I, I, honestly, I would be sitting there, whatever, and I'd look over. My resting heart rate was right around 40. And when I was like, that's when I got out of yep. bed, right? And I would yep. be someplace, and I would sit there and be relaxing, trying to get it under 40. And I could mm-hmm. do it every once in a while, I get 39. And they would invariably kind of run out, and the doctor would come, are you an athlete? And I'd go, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it, it, was, mm-hmm. you know, yes. it was kind of yes. funny because I had kind of rattled the change. But yep. here's the thing. Dr. Cutler, I thank you for coming on the show. Everyone – my yes, personal sir. feeling, and this is my personal, there's no reason to take a, a medication unless it has an improved quality of life over a long term. And I'm not pro-medication, but I'm anti-suffering. And I wanted to come on and talk about this so that we could have mm-hmm. an open discussion about what's there. Because all too often, I think mm-hmm. people are demonized by all this. You can take medications yeah. on this, and it might not be for you. The side effects might – that doesn't mean you, that you need to take it. But it also doesn't mean that you need to be mm-hmm. scared of this if you're doing it under the um, mm-hmm. observation of a, of a trained doctor. With that said, anything last to before we wrap this up? Well, I'd like, just like to say, as you mentioned, I've been doing research and clinical work with ADHD for over 20 years now. I've studied literally every – ADHD medication on the market, and there have been some definite advances in uh, mostly the formulation and how the medicines are delivered. And uh, again, if used properly under the supervision of a healthcare professional, these medicines appear to be very safe and very effective. It would be great if we could move to another, the next generation and find really effective non-stimulants. And we have a couple, but unfortunately, they're just not as effective. Stimulants are just pretty darn effective. Yep. So... Oh, my God. This is so helpful. Dr. Cutler, thank you so much for coming <laughs> on the show. Thanks, Jeff. I always enjoy talking with you. Uh, it's always a blast. Everybody, we hope you found this very informative. Um, I did. And finally, after years, I found the right guest. So with that, we hope you've enjoyed it. Catch us next week for another great edition of Attention Talk Radio. Don't Take care.